Hello everyone, Stuart Patrick here from Radio Keys. We are super excited to announce that our vinyl records for our debut album are now available for purchase through our website. So just go to radiokeysmusic.com and then you can order them and we'll ship them to you or deliver them to you if you live in the Concord, California or immediate surrounding area. Anyway, here's the podcast. All right, so we are back from the, from the abyss, uh, the Radio Keys abyss, at least the podcasting one, because we've been doing a lot of stuff behind our closed quarantine doors here. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can see, we now have video, or maybe not, depending on how this goes. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> but, we're experimenting. Uh, yeah, we're experimenting, doing a lot Feeling of experimenting. Yeah, yep. we'll see how what happens. Um, we're hoping we have a little bit of a latency issue right now, and we have a bunch of flies in our house, so you might as well say it's, it's complete also hell here. Like almost eight thirty, <laughs> and still ninety degrees out, <laughs> oh and you know California's on fire again, and it is. On yeah, fire, we're getting yeah. we're getting through. It's gonna be good. We're getting through. Um, <laughs> But we do have some positive news here in Radio Keys Land. One, yes. we're doing a podcast for the first time in like what? forever. How long has it been since a uh, month, two months? I don't know. Jeez, two we months. We did a roundtable in like right when we moved in, and we've been here for about two and a half, maybe three months. Indeed. Yeah, that was uh, that was a fun one. But I, I feel like yeah, we we've been on Concord Couch concerts since then. Maybe even. I mean, you guys moved in. That was like the week you guys moved in, right? Yeah. <laughs> that we did that? Uh, yeah, I don't know how we had the energy to do all that. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, we're, we're settled now. Um, we've got our studio slash garage, garage studio. Yeah, you totally uh, uh, blew up. up our spot. Um, in the video, <gasps> you're like, man, it's hot in this garage. And I'm like, it's not our garage. It's oh, a super it a cool soundstage. It's super cool soundstage. Sorry, that we have on site in our home, but the floors are cement. Yes. Yes. Correct. Sorry. And carpeted. There's a rug. <laughs> it is not carpeted. There are a few rugs. There's a laundry machine in there. Yeah. Well, not in the red room. <laughs> in the other room. Man, you're making a like no one's gonna want to hang out with us. No, it's so COVID. cool. We've painted it. It looks beautiful. Um, we're soundproofing it. Um, yeah. But yeah, this uh, fly situation erupted out of nowhere. So if you it's see flies gross. like buzzing around or hear them buzzing around. It's kind of a mystery as to what <laughs> this fly situation is they in our house. Somewhere, I'm not sure. We've never had flies before. Like, I don't recall ever having like even one fly really in our house. And now all of a sudden, there's like probably dozens. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's so gnarly. Uh, it's yeah. It's and bizarre. Al- and also awfully distracting. <laughs> yes. Um, They're so angry we had, too. They're like, ding. We like, had a really good. Uh, we had a really good day today as a band um, because something we've been waiting for since May came. Oh, look, Oski wants to hang out. I know, he wants to sit with me, so I'm hoping he can... Yeah, he, he navigated it on his own. One thing that's <laughs> happened in the last two months that's another, it's like, you know, 
one my coworker texted me today about the fires and she was like it's like universe read the room you know mm-hmm. it's like everything's going on it's like just maybe not maybe not so much um so in yeah under that same umbrella of the universe not reading the room oscar's starting to go blind he's gone blind in one eye so his uh navigation of certain things is a little yeah. off and, and he's sometimes really he's really grumpy too he's really he's a little he's a little <laughs> more grumpy than usual um because like when i'll do something grab him or something he doesn't know what's going on right away so he gets a little upset but he's navigating the world pretty well he's gonna come over and say hi to you now poor little fella. Um, he's adjusting um the vet tried to bring his sight back and it didn't dude we, we prayed for a miracle and it didn't she was like jesus of nazareth she was like <laughs> i will bring back his vision she like saw that she like examined him she came back and she's like the most confidence i've ever seen in my life she was like i think we can get a sight back it's <laughs> like the first thing she said and i was like okay that's not what i expected <laughs> but let's try that route yeah. uh, and we tried and it wasn't successful but she's like i'm not giving up on this bring him back in two months so we're gonna try this other thing and i'm like okay so we'll see but um but yeah as far as jumping little distances like five to six inches he's really afraid to do that now so for the record though that um lady was also the same lady when we brought Purd in as oh, a yeah. kitten we, he had huge paws as a kitten. And of course, you know, it's kind of like the colloquial thing with animals. If their paws are huge, they're going to be ears, huge, yeah. right? So we're like, he's going to be a big cat, right? And she's like, <laughs> no. And like <laughs> laughed in our face. I wonder what she thinks Just you meant. laughed in our face. And then we're like, okay. And now he's like <laughs> the biggest cat and he's still a kitten. He's a long boy. He's a long yeah. boy and he's got a really tall butt too. Yeah. So he's a big cat. And uh, he's also the most timid probably of all of Aww. them. So he's a big sweetheart. He's un- he's like a little teenager. But anyway, back like. to the good radio keys. The day. good radio keys news today. Um, we got our albums, our vinyl records, which took only seven months. So what's the timeline? So, so. So we started recording this record at Prairie Sun last April. Last April. April 2019. Yeah. We finished it over a couple months. Um, mostly you and Nate doing your behind a the scenes mixing, mixing mastering kind of thing. Okay, yeah. Well, well, before all that, we did all the additional tracking right. at our parents' house in the old Red Room. Right. So that was months and months of like vocals, 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 vocals yeah. extra guitar, yeah. percussion, everything. Tambourine. Tambourine which is, is percussion. Spoiler yes. alert. <laughs> not me on no, the record. No, Solante. Yeah, Solante. <laughs> I was like, if we have the opportunity to have Alante do it, why would I do it? Like, come on. No. Um, no, it's no, not. I'm not. You not have a self deprecating. Not in a self deprecating way, but I'm just like, I like, I don't know. It was too much pressure. Um, but. We did all the tracking, and then finally we, or I, drove out to Petaluma. I said Petaluma real weird. Petaluma, and I hung out with Nate, and we did the whole uh, mixing process and, you know, put a lot of uh, effects on these different tracks and kind of molded it and shaped it. And then finally we went to get it mastered. So we got everything all mastered, got those back, and then we, you know, put it out on Spotify, did that whole thing, kind of botched up because we didn't submit it to any uh, Spotify curators or anything, oh. um, mm-hmm. which we're trying to do now with our new record. But it's still on our old record. So we uh, then, after all that, decided to get vinyls made, which are these guys. And, that and we, was we'd wanted to get vinyls 
from day one like that was the idea we're like i don't know if anyone cares about cds anymore maybe they do we can go down that road if we want but for sure we want vinyls we want yeah, to hold just a vinyl. selfishly we want to have a vinyl. more than anything yeah else. we're just like this is gonna make it feel like we made a record for me anyway i was like holding a vinyl is gonna make it feel like we made a record so anyway the journey and we won't count the 10 years of writing all the songs but um the journey from april 2019 and then we finally released the record digitally which is how you do it nowadays october uh in october october 19th, 19th yeah. yeah so last year 2019 obviously 2019. It's not october yet um and now we're all the way in august 2020 so big jump in time there big jump in so time there to get in this january we um we went to this uh this company out of oakland january 2020 before we january we were like, 2020 this be oh, we're gonna play a hundred shows we're gonna play a hundred shows it's gonna be the best <laughs> year of our lives and all and that yeah so we went to them and they're like all right it'll cost eighteen hundred dollars to get all of your 220 copies of your vinyl and that'll be it. And we're oh, like, we went to a meeting in uh, yeah, Oakland. We're like, oh, yeah, we're like, yeah, we sat down phenomenal. with him. He showed us all these different types of like mat versus this, and like if you oh, want to we have stoked. like this was the yeah. pinnacle of our vinyl excitement. We were so excited. <laughs> the pinnacle, <laughs> the very beginning of our vinyl excitement. <laughs> Day <We're> like, one. <laughs> we're gonna end there, and they're like, and it's and it says on their website that they specialize in fast turnarounds. So no, it does not. We were expecting these <laughs> records probably in March or so. Very exciting. Yeah. So next thing you know, we uh, end up trying to get back and forth with them. Finally, we submit all the album artwork. They're happy with it. We're happy with it. And then COVID happens. Right. Everything shuts down. Understandable. We're like, totally. okay, yeah, totally. I'm sure it'll push it back a little bit. They're like, well, the factories are you know, shut down. Yeah, of course they are. We're like, great. So... Little do we know, like, and I forgot to mention, like, this entire time, they're basically, like, nickel and diming us, like, 200 bucks here for mastering, like, like, oh, we actually are going to need to have you pay for this additional thing, like, the barcodes, and we're going to need to have you pay for this additional thing, like, the, whatever it might be. So, we're, we're feeling like we're getting nickel and dime, so that 1800 is now at, like, 2200, 2400, and it's starting to creep up. We're like, okay, that's, uh, sucky. But at least we're in great communication, and we will eventually get our records when this. Eventually, because this is when we thought it was like going to be a couple put weeks, money in, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then, after all this, communication just falls out. Yeah. There's no communication. We're sending them four or five emails in a row. Nothing. We're like, did we just get like housed for our <laughs> for yeah. our money? Finally, they come back to us keep pushing back the date, pushing back the date. There's really nothing we can do. Finally, they're like, we're going to start production on it. And we're like, great. That's awesome. And so what happens is they email us and they say, so we accidentally made 550 copies of your album instead of 220. So do you want to buy those? And we're like, wait, how much are you going to charge us for those? They're like, we'll only charge you like $500 for those. And we're like, okay, that sounds great. We start getting them. They're like, but you can come pick them up if you want. That way we won't have to charge you shipping. And we're like, yeah. well, 
you know, I thought you guys were an Oakland company. What happened to that? Yeah, we picked them because they were in Oakland. Yeah, and we wanted to support a local business. And we met them in Oakland, but they never mentioned like, oh, by the way, we don't. We thought, okay, if you make them in a warehouse, it's probably somewhere in the outer Well, area. they make them in a vinyl factory or whatever. Right. And they're outsourcing their vinyl factory because apparently the one in Oakland got shut down. So they're outsourcing oh, that's what happened. to L.A. And now they're charging us like $300 for shipping. And we're yeah. like, wait a minute. We you are the ones who Oakland, like, yeah. what if you were doing it in like Malaysia? Like if you outsource all of your, you know, production to a different area, that's why are we paying for your shipping of your outsourced material? So anyway, we have to bite the bullet and pay the shipping. <laughs> we bite the bullet and buy the extra albums. Yeah. And next thing you know, it this record ballooned up to $4,200. Jesus, total? from 1800 initial like estimate to $4,200. Wow. So all that being said, we're super stoked to get so, this well, record back. All that being back. said too, like we're a little I, bankrupt, but no, we'll guess, get back. So we'll I think back. we're a little, um, what's the word in the hole, but most of the rate, I'm so impressed with us. The radio keys fund was pretty strong. Uh, going into pandemic because we canceled, you know, boom, we canceled 20 shows. And it's at like, least. that would have been a t- at, least, yeah, at least and more to come. And it's like, that would have been more income to put towards this record that we were planning on. Yeah. And we, boom, now we don't have that. It's like, okay, we played some like virtual shows and got a couple like $10 tips. It's like, that's great. But it's just the amount of income we were making just went down as did every single musician's. Yeah. W- uh, Worldwide. <laughs> worldwide. Basically worldwide, um, unless you live in Florida. I'm sure they're killing it, they're those just, Florida they're musicians. Seven, unless you're Smash Mouth, <laughs> and then you're just like, I don't fucking care about it, other people. Um, so, yeah, and then, so this morning, I, I feel like I was at a point with this where I was just like, it's never going to happen. Um, so this morning, you're like, the finals are supposed to come today. And I'm like, okay, and it didn't really hit me. And then we're like, we were literally talking about it in the kitchen, and then we see this delivery guy pull up and like walk past our front window and just start stacking these boxes in front of our door. And I'm like, no way it's really happening. <laughs> it's like all this, I don't know. We've just been beaten into this like idea of it's not going to happen. And, and then, and then here they are. What's it called? The coup de gras, like the cherry on top, like kind of, Oh, I've never heard that. <laughs> the coup de gras. Is that a coup de gras? I'm not, I don't speak French, but I um, don't speak any the French cherry on either. top of this whole situation with the vinyls is they only delivered eight of our 12 boxes. So oh, we're yeah. still we were like, we're like, it's over. And we're like looking at the boxes and Tom's like, this says eight of, this says one of 12, two of 12. And there's clearly and there's eight, eight boxes. And we're here. like, Stuart like runs out the front door to see if the UPS guy's still there and he's not. And we're the just sweaty like, man is it. gone. <laughs> hey, like, it's hot. We're I like, they got it. us one last time. Uh, so there's four boxes being held delayed for some reason. So, so we will slide into our wood. DMs and we'll tell you exactly who not to go with for your vinyl production yes. needs. Fellow musician friends, yeah. just hit us up and we will tell you exactly <laughs> what not to do. Um, anyway, I am yeah, excited to now. be back in the podcast arena because yeah. it's been a long, long time. And uh, I think we have some good, fun rock and roll rewind stories to talk about. I know you've got, yes. um, I feel like we went super Debbie Downer, at least I did with that final <laughs> record. I want to try to bring <laughs> us back to some positivity. I think this is positive. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I've been wanting to talk about this iconic figure in music. I guess it's more jazz than rock and roll. So I'm going a little out 
out of the genre here. Um, there wouldn't be rock and roll without jazz. You oh know? yeah, and I think I think her style really aided to. I mean, we can get into it, but what started to morph into rock and roll? Yeah. Um, Boogie Wookie is one of the things that, that she was kind of yeah. pushing. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with this. Um, so a couple of years ago. Um, I was on a YouTube, I was basically rock concerting like by myself in St. Helena, like watching YouTube videos. Probably and, like, not drunk pump. at all. No. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Never <laughs> drinking wine in St. Helena. Um, Tom was probably at a show or something. So I was like doing the YouTube video thing on the TV and I was like wa- going through all this stuff and I was watching, um, my favorite's Billy Holiday. So I was watching all these old Billy Holiday videos and I was watching this one came up that I really love and it's, so Billy Holiday was in a movie called New Orleans. Um, and Louis Armstrong's also in the movie and they have these points. I can't, I don't know what characters they play cause I've never seen it fully. It's like really hard to find, but like every once in a while they like start, they're like singing in a club or whatever. Um, so I was watching the scene where Louis Armstrong and Billie Holiday do a song together. Um, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans, which is like this great song. So I'm watching that and it's great. And then it starts like YouTube starts going into, they're just like going into similar videos and this video comes up of hazel scott basically and so it's it starts off like a movie and this woman comes in and she's got this big fur coat and she's got her band with her and there's a bunch of weird dialogue and like, oh time and dialogue and then she gets on stage <laughs> and she starts playing piano and i'm like oh okay so she's a musician cool and she starts really slow and she's doing this jazzy classical stuff and then she just starts going the fastest I've ever seen somebody play piano in my entire life. And I've showed you this video. Virtuoso. It's crazy. Crazy. And I was like, who is Hazel? What the fuck? Like, how have I never heard of this person before? And she's singing. And then I'm finding other videos of her playing two pianos at once and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, how have I never, like, I went through a big jazz phase when I was younger and started getting into that. And I'm like, I'm like, how have I never heard of this person? Never Um, heard about her in uh, all of my music schooling. How is she not? (laughs) Yeah household name right and it's like so anyway so i i kind of remembered her again recently um and i they so basically what happened is let's see um somebody still to this day this morning when i was like researching her it's like when you go to google her you get like her wikipedia and like karen stuff by karen chilton who wrote her biography finally um and then just not not a lot there's like some videos of her from movies there's some videos of her playing um but it's just she just kind of got like written out of history or like the word overlooked doesn't even begin to cover like how yeah how little and if you go on the youtube comments everybody's like how have i never heard of this woman like how do i not know about this um so let's see so i'll do a quick um sort of overview um, and I pulled some of this wording from uh, Karen Chilton, who did write Hazel Scott, the pioneering journey of a jazz pianist from Cafe Society to Hollywood to HUAC. Um, so let's see. Uh, so she was a jazz pianist, a vocalist, an actor. She was a child prodigy. Uh, she was known for fusing classical training with boogie woogie. Uh, she became famous for that. She received international fame for that. Um, she was hugely famous in New York in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, she broke sales records with her uh, recordings. She played and recorded with Count Basie, Charles Mingus, among others. Uh, she was in at least 10 Hollywood films in the between wow. the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So she was like a megastar. Yeah, basically. she was a megastar. Um, 
she was an outspoken critic of racial discrimination and segregation. She was the first American black woman to have her own TV show. And she was one of the first black entertainers to refuse to play in front of segregated audiences. This is unbelievable. It's like blowing my mind. And you've mind. never heard of her. Yeah. Blowing fucking, my mind. It's, it's infuriating. Um, so she, yeah, she had like this 40-year run in the entertainment industry, and she, she should be a household name, right? So, and then if you watch one video of her, you're like, oh, wow. Like, how, how many we people not? are, do you think are listening to this and they're like, I knew her. I've you, heard of her. I've heard of if her. you have, that's, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> but that's great. Um, so let's see. Um, so she's born in a, she's born a hundred years ago, basically June 11th, 1920 in Trinidad. Um, her dad's a scholar. Her mom, Alma Scott, uh, is a classically trained pianist and also a music teacher. Um, so there's music lessons going on in the house when she's like a baby, yeah. right? Um, so they first started to notice that she might have this sort of uh, Genius. calling or inkling towards music. Yeah. Uh, well, she was a really precocious, like little kid, really sensitive. And uh, they said that when the music students were like practicing with her mom, if they hit wrong notes, she would just start screaming, like <laughs> a specifically wrong note. She'd be like, ah! Like, she's probably that. screaming a lot then yeah because. she's like this is the worst <laughs> thing i've ever heard um and then one day she makes her way to the piano and she starts tapping stuff out um i think she's three years old when she discovers the piano and she starts sort of like hitting notes by ear and as a as a music nuts. teacher that's uh, wildly young to yeah be three music. um so one day she's i think she's probably played around a little bit at this point but she starts to tap out the hymn it's called gentle jesus and it's the tune that her grandmother sings her every night and she starts playing that just by ear and her mom and her grandma are like well we gotta focus on this like we gotta yeah. we gotta do something about this um so alma the mom her mom uh shifts her focus from she was still trying to be like a really famous piano player at that point um and sort of teaching lessons to like you know make income and stuff but at that point she's like i'm gonna focus all the energy i have on hazel and hazel's and like making her dream come true, which is so cool. Um, so Hazel has said of her mother, she's the single biggest influence in my life. I mean, pianist mother. And yeah, I think that's, uh, makes sense. Makes sense. Her father, on the other hand, uh, leaves the family really early on and has a really small presence, which is tr pretty tragic. His loss. Yeah, um, right. So in they, they don't have anything else like why he left or just one of those classic. They, like, just, they, they don't give him any time. They're like everything I've read on her. They're just like, and then he bounced and who cares anymore? That was like um, back in the day, though, where guys used to just like leave the family. And yeah. like, they, there's no way to find and you them. never see you them. Never again. see them again. Well, so they they got a proper divorce in 1924. So she's four. I love that she's born in 1920 because all the math is really easy. So in 1924, she's four. Um, so they decide the three women. So Hazel, uh, her mom and her grandma, Margaret, uh, they all decide to head to the United States and they land in Harlem, New York city and almost starts as a, the mom, she starts doing, um, work as a maid. Um, but eventually wants to kind of get herself into the New York, how cool 1920s, like Harlem yeah, music yeah. scene. Um, so she teaches herself the saxophone and eventually lands wait, the mom the, the mom, mom does teaches herself oh, okay. the saxophone these people are insane through this whole story you're gonna be like wait what <laughs> and uh, what are we she, doing they nowadays they don't have the internet they just they don't they don't have the distraction of the internet but they also don't have the internet as a tool like it's fucking nuts i can't even like teach myself how to tie a tie you know I'm, like, no me neither <laughs> i yeah just figuring it out you know so she teaches herself the saxophone so her mom i think is also a bit of a prodigy it sounds like when you hear about her um so she eventually get, lands a gig as the saxophone player in 
someone you also probably have never heard of, Lil, so short for Lillian, Lil Harden Armstrong's orchestra. Mm. That is uh, the second wife of Louis Armstrong. Okay. So she's a piano player, composer, arranger, band leader, badass that I've also never heard of. Um, so she lands a job in her orchestra in the 30s. Um, so at this point, they're living in New York. Alma's playing with Louis Armstrong's second wife, Lillian, in her badass band. Um, and so a bunch of musicians are starting to hang around the house. Um, Trouble. So as Hazel's growing up, she's got Art Tatum, Lester Young, Fats Waller, all these types of guys. You've heard of all those guys. Just a couple of them. <laughs> just hanging out in the kitchen and like chilling. And, and so she grows up around this sort of greatness, you know? Yeah. Wow. Um, so in 1928, Hazel's eight years old and her mom is like, you're going to audition for Juilliard. Fuck it. <laughs> you're ready. Like Make you're Juilliard ready. Great you're again. gonna we're gonna audition for Juilliard. So she's way too young to audition. Uh to be a student at Juilliard, you have to be at least sixteen years old. So she's eight. Uh so her mom demands demands that she be heard and she get this audition. So finally they let eight year old Hazel in to play in this big room on her piano on this piano and she decides to do a uh, Rachmaninoff's prelude in C sharp minor. Which Rachmaninoff I is no joke too. Yeah. He, uh, he's pretty well known for how hard it, <laughs> hard is like the nice way to put it. I've heard uh, comparisons like I forgot which Rachmaninoff song it was, but it's like moving like X amount of tons of bricks with your hands. Wow. Um, basically is yeah. what I've heard. Like it's the equivalent of playing like this song. Jesus. So she's eight <laughs> and she's like, what am shit, I going to do for my audition? Rock Monanoff. So this is my favorite part of this story. And she tells this story and I got this from, uh, from Karen Chilton's, um, she actually did a podcast too that I'll shout out at the end with the BBC. And she tells a story that Hazel would tell and her hands were really small cause she's eight. So she can't reach all the right notes in the right yeah. time, but she wants to make the right time. So she's improving other notes. So instead of like, what did they say? Instead of six, she's doing eights. Okay. Eights. Or That's does that make octave. sense? Yeah. It's an octave. She's doing different octaves. They're different. Right? No. Yeah. They're different notes. Different um, notes. But, uh, at least a six basically and an she's like improving on the spot. Cause this is yeah. like a bigger piano than she's like, I guess, I don't know. So she's improving Rachmaninoff. Um, so at some point they hear this like barreling down the hall and this guy's coming down and it's like, the head of the school right and he run, he barges in and he goes who's paraphrasing Rachmaninoff like he's pissed off and then he sees an eight-year-old at the piano and he's like wait a second oh so, so cute yeah he's like he's <laughs> like wait a second he's like who's paraphrasing Rachmaninoff and he's like oh my god um so they immediately are like, she's a genius. We're going to give her this special scholarship where um, one of the professors, Oscar Wagner, uh, is going to teach her privately. So she gets into Juilliard at eight, which is, yeah, the youngest ever because you're supposed to be 16. It's insane. Um, so that's how. What were you doing when you were eight? Oh, man. I was, uh, <laughs> I don't even know if I could ride a bike yet. How old are you when you ride a bike? <laughs> So we were eight. I was born in 87, 95. Are you writing yet? Are you like writing? Like, I think you're writing, right? Uh, that's like second grade, third grade, fourth no, you're grade. Right. You're writing. Depending. Okay. So yeah. You're Can you tell we don't have children? Because like, <laughs> these are things that children, hey, we have people fur with babies. children know. Fur babies. Because it's been so long. I don't remember, you know. Anyway, we were I was playing the recorder. I wasn't when getting we were into eight. Juilliard when I was yeah. eight. Jesus Christ. Um, 
and playing or quoting mocking Rachmaninoff or yeah. or improvising <laughs> paraphrasing, sorry. paraphrasing. Yeah. Um, so she goes on from there so she gets this Juilliard um, education really early on when she's 13 um, her mom organizes an all-girl jazz band Almalong Scott's all-girl jazz band and uh, Hazel plays piano and trumpet in that sorry so how old is she again? she's 13 oh, here. Right, so her she's mom a little organized older now. the band okay, okay. yeah a little older now uh, when she's 16 she starts performing for radio programs so she's on the radio by the time she's 16 I almost thought you were going to say radio keys how starts improvising for radio keys um, in, the <laughs> <laughs> in the mid 30s so let's see yeah her early like maybe she's 14 15 16 uh, she performs at Roseland Dance Hall with Count Basie's organ orchestra okay but wasn't okay. wasn't her mom like friends with count basie was it count basie or? um i don't know if i've mentioned him yet oh wait no that was that was hazel scott you you mentioned in the i in the yeah so in the beginning that she, i, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Okay, name okay. drop basie um yeah but no that's nuts that's like playing with i don't even know when you're 15 like the best of the best it's um, like playing with john mayer i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Like being in John yeah, Mayer's band John, when you're 15. Um, so during high school, she's gigging all night and going to school all day. She still graduates with honors. She's an absolute genius. Wow. Jesus. Um, after high school, um, she makes her Broadway debut um, in a play called Sing Out the News musical. Um, and then her she starts doing commercial recordings um, that start to sort of break. She gets on the DECA label and those start to be distributed worldwide. So she's getting pretty famous by her late teens. So by, so she's already on a recording label yep. touring around town. Yeah. Playing like the... She's in New York City, so she's in a good Okay, spot. so she could probably play so a she's gig about, every night. If yeah, she, she's about to get the gig of all gigs too. So oh. I'll talk about her style for a second. Um, so she's known for taking... So she has a classical background, right? Her Juilliard yeah. education from when she was a kid and like what she was self-taught. So she has this classical training that she sort of applies she swings and she plays with um, people say she swings the classics or she jazzes up the classics. And the way that started um, is I guess when she was either when she was in high school or just after high school, when she was gigging um, in these little like clubs around New York city, um, she, <laughs> I know I'm watching him too. Uh, there's a cat above my head that I'm worried he's going to jump. So if I make a noise, um, so she, she gets a gig as an intermission pianist in one of these clubs. Oh, he's coming down. He's coming he's down. Coming down. <laughs> that was purred that we were talking about before. He's oh. the long boy. Um, oh, he's good. All right. At least I didn't have to deal with that scratching pad anymore. Jeez Louise purred. What is that all about? He's like, I just want to be closer to you. That's I wonder if nice. that was picked up in the microphone. People are like, what is Emily doing? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> like, <there?" laughs> Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, this is the legend of sort of how she got her style. Um, so yeah, she's playing at this club. She's like 17 or 18 years old. And um, she's playing as an intermission pianist between uh, this vocalist named Frances Fay. Um, so she's playing like in between this lady's sets. And so she starts with just doing like, oh, I'll do some jazz standards or whatever. And staff keeps coming over to her and saying, hey, you can't play that song because Frances Faye is going to do it. You can't do that song because Frances Faye is going to do it. You can't play that jazz song because th she's going to perform it later. So she's like, I don't know what the fuck to play. So she ends up playing. She gets kind of frustrated and she's like, all right, I'll just start playing like Bach. So she starts playing Bach, but she's in like a jazz club. So she starts like jazzing up Bach basically. And she starts doing that with all these probably Rachmaninoff and all these guys that she kind of just knows it's in her memory. And she's like, all right, if you just want 
in between music, I'll just play, I'll play classical, but I'll play it kind of boogie woogie with like a little shuffle to it. And that's kind of the birth of her style, which is really cool. Um, she also liked to, um, it said she liked to kind of shock audiences and give them what they didn't quite expect and kind of confuse people. Um, so yeah, she brought serious classical technique, combined it with boogie woogie piano jazz into this kind of shuffle rhythm. Um, I listened to a podcast where this guy really like insanely describes specifically what boogie woogie means. And the most I got out of it was this shuffle to it. It's like, and he did something like that and i'm just like i'm not gonna try to replicate that because it's not gonna be right all our all our crazy jazz fans are gonna be listening and be like emily's getting it all wrong with boogie woogie i feel like people always get mad at us whatever people are gonna be mad we're doing our best um so in the late 30s uh so she's like i think she's 19 when she gets uh her biggest gig yet it's gonna change her sort of career uh at New York City's Cafe Society. So Cafe Society is pretty cool. It's the first mainstream high-class night spot in New York City that unlike other clubs we've heard of, like jazz clubs like the Cotton Club, yeah. uh, it's integrated. So not only on stage, but also the audience. The audience is uh, cool. not segregated, integrated, yeah. Um, this is the and that's 30s, because this 1930s? is uh, the late 30s. Oh, wow. Which is nuts, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like World War II. Because a lot of these jazz clubs like the audience is segregated, well, but right it's before like, World War II. yeah. And so, so now it's like, so this, uh, the owner, Barney Josephson, he said, we're not going to, we're not going to, um, segregate our crowds. Right. Um, so Billy holiday, who was a family friend mentor to Hazel, I'm assuming through Hazel's mom, um, recommends Hazel to Barney Josephson. Probably a really good society. role model. <laughs> yeah. Oh, stop it. I love her. She's the best of the best. Um, so Hazel gets this gig at cafe society and becomes this insane hit and becomes known as the queen of cafe society. And so by 1940, so she's 20 years old. Um, she's so popular that the owner Barney of cafe society decides to become her manager, um, and sort of try to think get that conversation further. went, guess what, Hazel, I'm going to be your manager. I'm your manager. <laughs> Um, she's like, do, do you have to be, but this is really cool. Cause this <laughs> is when, so she starts to kind of see her seat of, um, where she's at with, how do I say this? Like, I don't want to say her power, but like it, she starts to really see like where, where she can sort of, anyway, what I'm trying to say is she starts to really show like her commitment to sort of uh, civil rights issues. Um, so for example, oh, she, she, is, she starts realizing that she has a voice that she you. can, she has a, she, she has, has a platform. platform. Yeah, there we she go. Ha- she's in a position where she can sort of make demands that are going to be listened to because she's, oh, the boys coming she's down. worth it. Oh my God. This is so He doesn't know what scary. to do. He, he actually doesn't know how to jump. Do you want to just help him down real quick? He looks do really nervous. Yeah. He looks real nervous. Sorry, everyone. Again, Purd is a really silly cat. Oh, I think he's... No, he's... He like looks like he wants to jump down through the middle of this lamp. Oh, no. So I think we just got to let him do it at this point. <laughs> we just got to <laughs> let him decide. He's like, maybe I'll just get higher before I get lower. Oh. For the listeners that are not watching, we have cat shelves, which are these wooden boxes that the cats can climb up that are in the wall, like <laughs> shelves. Purred, purred. And he was on the top one, and then he went to the second one, which is still like 10 feet off the ground, and he was trying to jump to the ground, and it wasn't going to work out. No, that was very far. Um, so anyway, she starts to recognize that she can sort of make some changes, right? 
Um, so she starts having stipulations in her contract that she's like, these are non-negotiable. Uh, I'm not playing in front of a segregated audience. Um, cause she's starting to tour outside of cafe society yeah. now. Right. And she's saying, if I, if I arrive and the audience is segregated, I will forfeit the gig and I'll still get paid. That's in her contract. Um, and yeah, so she starts making in the 1930s or early forties. Uh, she starts making thousands of dollars a week. Um, and by 1945, she's touring around and she's earning at the time about $75,000 a year, which would be a well over a million today. Wait, you said 75, 75,000 okay. a year in 1945. So today wow. that's, a little over so a million dollars a year. So just a little bit less than what Radio Keys was Just a little la- less than what year. Radio <laughs> Keys would be making. It's amazing how that inflated those 75000 to a million. But yeah. she's a millionaire, basically, which is yeah. so cool. She's like a, yeah. Um, so at, at some this point, point, she's 25 years old. She's 25. She's a 25-year-old yeah. self-made millionaire. Well, her mom helped a lot, but... A little bit, yeah. But money-wise, but money wise, like... Sh- but, like coming from no money coming from trinidad and yeah. then 25 years later yeah millionaire self-made today black today female musician 1940s new york city self-made millionaire awesome. it's like again why haven't we heard of her it's 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 nuts um so at some point um she heads to hollywood she's getting demand from hollywood they want her to be in these movies like i said in the beginning i'm gonna be your manager i'm yeah, gonna put you in the movie there's there's you know they'll put these jazz musicians in a film and they'll say you know hey you're gonna be the piano player and it's like having basically a cameo i guess yeah um but sometimes it's done sort of in this kind of tacky shitty way like i think billy holiday played like a maid in one of her movies it's like okay we're gonna have this black female musician in this movie who's a star in the real world but mm, where should we put her let's make her a maid so hazel scott comes along goes to hollywood um she's in over so i could find it's hard to find these lists like these movies or the list of these movies from the 1940s um but she does have an imdb and it said that she has like at least 10 she's in at least 10 hollywood films playing herself and she has like over 20 between 20 and 30 tv credits credits as well um so she's got a pretty big career now in film you could and, call and it. And this is ten, over. Ten movies. This is over the course of like how many years in her life? Forties uh, through the I think the mm, late fifties or something like that uh, for film. Her film career is a little shorter, and I'll tell you why. Um, and then she does TV a little more in the seventies. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's not negligible. Can you imagine like it's Lady Gaga's in ten films as Lady Gaga, basically? Like yeah. that's how it's like weird to think about. Now she's only that in that one. <laughs> is she? What's oh, that? A Star Is Born. Is she, what is that song? She plays a character. Everyone I'm loves it. Dude, oh my god, dude! A Star Is Born is uh, brilliant, and you should see it. I know you, dude. I was really against it. I was like, oh, this looks like no. It's just the Bradley kind of Cooper's voice. It's just and I, Bradley Cooper's I thought it voice. was riveting. It, I don't know. So, would you rather hear Bradley Cooper's voice? in that song or Russell Crowe's voice in uh, La Miserable? Oh, definitely Bradley Cooper. No <laughs> contest. Are you kidding me? Okay. It's just, maybe it's just tough <laughs> next Russell to Lady Gaga. Like, no, it's, it's so, I can't even do it. Russell I'm sorry. Very I don't flat. mean to, I don't mean flat. to make fun of 
Russell Crowe's singing voice. That's me. No, I'm no, I'm not the best singer in the world either. But I'm not but in Les Misérables. So <laughs> I know. also don't claim to be good <laughs> enough to be in Les Misérables. Um, so. Sorry, where am I? Okay, so Hollywood. Yeah. So she gets Hollywood. She doesn't really need any of these Hollywood gigs, right? She's like, I don't really need this financially, um, but there's a big demand for her specifically to be in these movies because if you if you watch any YouTube video of her, like she, you can't tear your eyes away from her playing piano. You're like, what is happening? It's it's completely groundbreaking musicianship, right? Um, so she decides she's going to do do things on her own terms. Um, she refuses to play any subservient character. Uh, she won't play a servant. She won't play a maid. She won't play a waitress, any of that stuff. Uh, she refuses to ever be on screen in an apron. Uh, and she wants to always be credited by her name, Hazel Scott. So they can't make up a weird, ridiculous name for her character. Right? So she's like, I'm always Hazel Scott. Like that's my name, whatever character you want to make me as I'm Hazel Scott. I'm going to wear fur. I'm going to be glamorous. And <laughs> it's so cool. Cause you see that video that I was talking about and it's like, she, it was all on her terms, you know, and yeah. she got to showcase herself the way that she wanted to, because she was in that position and she built her way to that position. Um, oh, she also won't wear any of their costumes. She's only going to wear her own gowns that she owns because <laughs> she's a badass millionaire bitch. And she's like, I'm just gonna wear my gowns that I like <laughs> and not your stuff. So she's like basically coming in set and being like, this is what I'm doing. And everybody's going, okay, again, she's <laughs> the in the directors film. are like, God damn it. Hazel They're Scott like, again. <laughs> sure. As long as we can get Hazel Scott, like that's her power, like at this point, which is so cool. Um, so there's one, uh, one thing that happens, um, that sort of, you could argue maybe would end her career, um, in Hollywood films and kind of sends her back to New York. And it's, it's this really cool thing that she does. And it's, and it's taken in this really lame way. Um, so there's a film called the heat is on that she's in starring Mae West, um, and there's a musical number that she's in and I actually saw, caught some of it today. I finally found some of it. She's in this cool like military looking outfit and there's like people dancing around her piano and there's all these guys so in she military this, outfits. So uh, she military outfit gown? I'm assuming it's <laughs> one of her yeah, military uh, outfits that she owns. Um, so there's this crazy, crazy musical number and the whole point of the musical number, she's playing piano and I think she's singing but it's a scene of wives sending their husbands off to war and it's this really like coordinated um dance thing where all the women are being swung around and then the men are walking away and they have their army outfits on and the women are waving and they're fanning themselves and it's this really ridiculous showcase um so the women are in dresses the men are in uniform um so the director brings in uh <laughs> this is her trigger stained <laughs> dirty aprons for the women to wear they're all black women and he gives all the women they're in these beautiful dresses and he gives them all these aprons and he's like here you go and Hazel comes in and sees all of these women with putting on these soiled aprons for their big dance number. Like, and she oh, says, hell no. why? She's like, what is, what's the point of this costume addition? Like what, why are we giving all these women aprons? And the director says, well, they've been cooking in the kitchen. <laughs> That's his response. And she's like, oh, absolutely not. So she responds, no woman would see her sweetheart off to war wearing a dirty apron. And she told all the women on set, I'm leaving and you should strike with me because if I leave, they're going to shut it down. So she's like, I'm leaving. We're, we're getting at we're And all the women follow her. They do a three day strike. They stop production for three days on this May West film because Hazel Scott is like, I'm not getting on until we get rid of these stupid fucking, that's all she wants. She was like, get rid of these stupid fucking aprons. It's ridiculous. Like we don't need yeah. that detail. That detail is offensive and ridiculous. Um, so 
eventually the director realizes that he's just losing a ton of money having people come in every day and having this sort of strike going on so he's like look fine we'll do it your way but you'll never work in Hollywood. Sorry, he says, and I quote, you won't work again in Hollywood until the day I die. Hopefully soon. That's Harry Cohn, director. <laughs> Sounds oh, like a Harry great Cone. guy. Oh, Harry. Oh, Harry. Um, in response to this later, there's a Hazel quote. She says, I've been brash all my life and it's got me into a lot of trouble, but at the same time, speaking out has sustained me and given meaning to my life. Uh, so she eventually heads back to New York after that um, fiasco. Um, let's see in the peak of her fame in 1945, she marries controversial Harlem preacher, politician, Adam Clayton Powell jr. Who's making a bid for us Congress. Uh, at the time they meet, it's controversial. He's married, uh, and he's 12 years older than her. Uh, they do end up getting married. It's a big scandal. Uh, he ends up becoming the first black congressman to represent Harlem. And then she's sort of the queen of like cafe society and all this stuff. And they sort of become this like power couple in New York, which is wow. really cool. Yeah. Um, and they're, yeah, wealthy as well, which is so cool. Um, eventually they moved up to New York. They start a family. They have a child. Um, she starts playing quieter gigs. Um, she goes into recording studio. She starts recording a lot of original music. Um, let's see. And then in 1950, another milestone, uh, she's offered the opportunity to become the first black American woman to host her own nationally syndicated television show. So apparently I was trying to find, you cannot find any video of this because apparently in back then, so this is what 1950, um, everything's live TV's all live. Yeah. So there's no like backlog, um, of stuff. And unless it's something, I guess that's really important. So no, there's no footage of her TV show. Well, it might be also, I think they also reused a lot of like tape. tape yeah. I'm not sure if they're using tape back then on films. I know they were in music and a lot of times people's tapes just got filled. So it's like they'd run it live, I guess maybe. Yeah. And I mean, I'm kind of talking about my ass from the video sense, but maybe they'd run it live and then cut the tape and use it again. Yeah. I don't know. I have no so, idea. It'd be, it'd be worth looking up. Yeah. It sounds like, what what also struck me as interesting was um, her. Sh this is her big TV show, and it starts off, and it's the average length of a TV show, which is fifteen minutes long. And then they expand her to thirty because her, I guess, it's really popular. I don't know how you her tell. Her piano solo is already fifteen minutes. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> need what, a more so time they describe here. it. They say it's basically. Um, She's the sole star of this whole show. It's just her. Um, she's playing in front. I think she's, I don't know if she's on a soundstage or in front of an audience. It sounds like she might be on a soundstage. Um, it's like her doing whatever she wants. She's at a grand piano on a set. Sorry, it's a set that looks like a rooftop terrace. And she's just playing. She plays piano. She sings. Um, she, th they just dropped this casually. in one of the things I read, she often would sing a tune in one of the seven languages she spoke. So if I didn't mention that already, <laughs> she speaks seven languages. <laughs> That's I just so want, yeah, wild. I just want. Do they say which languages? Um, no, they don't. Oh, man. I know. And, you know, her, her Wikipedia page is a little sparse, too. I feel like, I feel like now there's an autobiography of her that came out really recently. The Karen Chilton, Hazel Scott, The Pioneering Journey of a Jazz Pianist from <laughs> Cafe Society to Hollywood, HUAC. Um, but, yeah, I feel like there's, yeah, there's so much more to know about her. Um but yeah, so she has this show where she just plays piano for 15 and then expanded to 30 minutes and it's like this huge hit and the world gets to see her and um, she gets even more and more famous. Um, so I don't know a lot about 
the McCarthy era. And I don't know a lot about communism, but I'm going to attempt to explain <laughs> how she got pulled into this drama uh, and accused of being a communist. It was probably that damn director, dude. He's like, I'm going to ruin you, not just in Hollywood, but politically. And yeah, I don't know. Um, so this is when I wish Tom had a mic because I'm sure he could help me out here. But so her career in America falters after she testifies before that. This is remember I keep saying H-U-A-C because that's part of the uh, book about her. What is the H-U-A-C? The H-U-A-C, the H-U-A-C is the house. This is this is what it is. I'm not dropping a word the house un-american activities committee the house un-american activities committee okay so she uh she testifies before them in 1950 during the mccarthy era so her name starts appearing around the 19 early late 40s 1950 so are you going to go into mccarthyism at all no so what basically (laughs) what it was is it was basically a witch hunt for communists in like in our society yeah and it was also, I think, a handy tool to, like, shut a lot of people down. Yeah. To shut down a lot of voices, like a convenient excuse to shut down a lot of people. So that's the best way I can explain it in a nutshell. That's the most like, simple way. Yeah. That, that's probably, yeah, that's the best way I've seen it explained. I read about it a bit today, and I was like, I don't even know if I want to get into this, but... It's a lot. We don't have to get into it's it. It's a lot, but... No, you just said it was right. It, it really was right in the height of the Cold War and the Red Scare and all that kind of stuff. People were terrified of communism spreading and communist ideas spreading. Yeah. And in America, like yeah. I said, they were using it as a convenient tool to dismantle rivals, maybe, or yeah. people that they deemed to have too powerful of a voice or people that they wanted to silence. Um, it was. Yeah convenient tool so to get rid of those name, kind of people too. So there's something called the quote unquote red channels. And that's the unofficial list of suspected communists, right? So her name appears in these quote unquote red channels. Um, so I guess they try to attribute why her name would pop up in this. And I guess her association with cafe society, which was a suspected communist hangout. Of course. Yeah, of course. Cause they don't like what they're doing. They're yeah. like, wait, it's, um, There's a lot of integration going not, on in here. They're not segregating <laughs> the crowds. I think they're communists. <laughs> Sorry. Not, yeah. It's, okay. So that along with her civil rights efforts make her a target um, for the HUAC. Um, so since she's neither a member of the communist party or a communist sympathizer, she requests, she's like, hey, uh, this is bullshit. I will appear voluntarily before your HUAC committee and explain to you that this is ridiculous right yeah so she's like i'm gonna get up in front i'm just gonna go chat it out right yeah. and her husband uh is like don't do that and <laughs> but she's like no i'm i'm smarter than these people and and she's right you know but she so she gets up and she she speaks before their committee um i have a couple quotes from her are speech. they affiliated with congress or who are they affiliated it's with? the house tom can look it up it's the huac the house un-american activities committee I, I don't, they don't seem very legit. Tom says he assumes House of Representatives. Okay, so here's some quotes. I have my phone. I it has never been my practice to choose the popular course. When others lie as naturally as they breathe, I become frustrated and angry. Um, her, wait, that may not have been from her. Shit, sorry. Uh, her testimony uh, challenged the committee members, basically. She basically went up there and was like, why am I on this list? Um, here's solid evidence contrary to what you're accusing me of. Mm. Um, so they had a list of nine organizations uh, with communist ties 
that they say she's performed at. So they show her this. Here's nine places you performed at that have communist ties. And she says, I only recognize one of these. I've never heard of these other eight places. I've never played there. I've never heard of it. They're like, yes, you have. Um, anyway, she's, she tries to explain, you know, Hey, I'm just, even if I did play here, I'm just an artist. I was booked to perform. I I'm not, politically affiliated with these clubs like that I'm performing at blah 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 but it sounds like she's getting railroaded, railroaded. yeah, yeah. Railroaded. they're just like nope we're right you're wrong you're a communist um and just start giving this bullshit and she's like giving it sounds like she's giving really um you know she's taking their specific accusations and saying nope this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong and she's confident she went in there voluntarily and was like confidently like nope I'm going to show that you guys are wrong and they just completely uh, steamroll over. Um, so she ends with a pretty cool quote, um, for like, uh, for that really the entertainment, sorry, Tom just distracted me. The entertainment (laughs) community, um, really appreciated. She ends with a quote, uh, may I end with one request? And that is that your committee protect those Americans who have honestly, wholesomely and unselfishly tried to perfect this country and make the guarantees in our constitution live. The actors, musicians, artists, composers, and all the men and women of the arts are eager and anxious to help and to serve. Our country needs us more today than ever before. We should not be written off by the, by the vicious slanders of little and petty men. Wow. mic drop wow. yeah she's basically like artists are important if you're doing if you're like trying to get rid of artists in this weird witch hunt way that's like what our country needs right now is like yeah. art and this I'm sure is that fucking didn't bullshit. help her cause <laughs> no but i just <laughs> like, but it's so badass yeah, she's yeah. like we should not be written off by the vicious slanders of little and petty men and they're like oh no she didn't oh, say no. that to us she made <laughs> us feel small and um petty. so the entertainment committee applauds her uh, but the government's suspicions are enough to cause damage to her career. Weeks after the hearing, the Hazel Scott show is canceled and her concert bookings basically dry up. Wow. Yeah. Just like that. Bas- and I don't know how, how that situ- situation would have worked out in her favor, even if she didn't do this badass thing and get up and be like, no, I'm going to explain myself. And like, I have no reason to be on this list. I have no reason for this. Like, it's it's insane. They just basically were definitely able to quote unquote cancel like, her. Yeah. I mean, definitely no one likes to be insulted, you know, and then I'm sure they doubled down on their ability to cancel her once. Well, it, this was like, yeah, it was like canceling. Like it's like you, the early well, like you said, Well, that and like you said, you know, witch hunt, we get that from like the Salem witch trials. It's like, they're basically like, we don't like this person. Yeah. So she's a witch. Uh, we don't like Hazel Scott for whatever reason. She's a communist. She's a communist. Yeah. And she's like, wait, what? What's your what's your proof? I'll stand up to you guys. And they're like, nope, you're 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 done. You're canceled. It's like you're um, small and petty. And they're like, well, you're a communist. And then they shut her down. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous that they can get away with that. Um, in 1957, she divorces her husband after 11 years. Um, the only thing she takes from the marriage is her grand piano, and she takes her son, and she moves to Paris for 10 years. So. There were a lot of expats, expatriates um, in Paris at that time. Um, so her apartment, she gets an apartment on the right bank and it becomes a hangout for some other Americans that are living in Paris. I'm going to name drop some of them. James Baldwin, nice. uh, Lester Young, Mary Lou Williams, Dizzy Gillespie, Max Roach, um, Max Roach Duke Ellington, killer drummer. Count Basie, uh, eventually Quincy Jones. 
Um, so she starts playing in Paris. She plays a little more. Her style kind of softens from boogie woogie into more sort of serene uh, tunes and like kind of slower jazz. Um, she makes a really important record in 1955. She comes back to the United States. Um, oh wait, I'm getting my years mixed up. Um, anyway, in 1955, uh, she records a record with Charles Mingus and Max Roach. Max Roach is a drummer. Yeah. Uh, Charles Mingus plays bass on this record. Um, he also plays piano, I think. Um, so this is like the best bass player and drummer of this time. She records an album with them. Um, called relaxed piano moods and it's considered by jazz critics uh, as one of the most important jazz recordings of the 20th century and it was recently inducted into npr's basic jazz rec- record library i don't know what that means it don't doesn't sound it very basic, excited though, you know? that's what it's called <laughs> don't call it basic. Um, so after a decade of living abroad she returns back to the american music scene in 1967 so she's coming back to She's 47 now. She was, the what, music 37 scene. when she left? Yeah, and it, she's 47, and it's 1967. So what kind of music is Freaking taking is Jimi Hendrix, over? baby. Yeah, well, That's a lot of, up. like, Motown, right? So there's oh, Motown. Yeah, but too. no, you're right. British bands, yeah. ja- uh, jazz wasn't interesting. Yeah, this Motown's kind of show been stuff killing wasn't. it for the last, like, seven or eight oh yeah years, r&b motown that's that's what people want to see so she's sort of like she's playing these little um clubs around new york city because she still has a fan base of course yeah. um but she's sort of just quieted down um and she does a couple more records um and then she gets into weirdly into tv in the 70s and she appears on like a bunch of daytime soap operas she's on one life to live not uh, wearing any dirty aprons per- though. no God absolutely damn. not <laughs> it's on her dang. terms and it's the 70s too it's yeah. a different time you know but um she uh yeah so she gets a little bit into tv uh her music career is a little quieter and then in october 1981 she passes away from cancer um Jeez, that was young. 61. Yeah, she's 61. That's young. Yeah, in 1981. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm almost there. I'm like, so yeah, she was no, 30 years. This just barrier breaker, like insane pioneer of an entertainer and woman. And she, the way she changed music, her musical style, um, the way she demanded how to be portrayed in hollywood all these things like she's just this huge 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 i wonder if figure uh, in american history and i wonder if their desire to shut down her husband as well as like her you were saying they were like kind of a power couple yeah like and it sounded like he had legitimate power as like you know a politician yeah i wonder if black congressman i wonder if their uh move to like shut her down could have stemmed from that or I don't or know had this or maybe it stemmed from her tiff with Hollywood because I know Hollywood is like famous for like having just sacrificed people at the altar yeah. to Mark McCarthy and just being ooh I didn't know that but just yeah. being just they're like ties running really deep and I mean, Hollywood's famous scary. for canceling people. Like, yeah. it's happened forever. They're still well, canceling also having people just really to this day. a dark underbelly in general but yeah. it's like how yeah, it's just infuriating. And I mean, yeah, she was a pioneer for civil rights and changing the way that people of color were going to be seen on screen. Like just she was making big changes and I'm sure I'm sure she got the attention of some people that It's crazy how suppressed she, uh her her importance has been. Yeah. I was like it's 
I'm not kidding. Like if you look through, watch a YouTube video, be like, why the fuck haven't I heard of her? And then you scroll through the comments and people are like, how have I, I'm a jazz yeah. person. How do I not know about this person? Yeah. And even, yeah, even on Google, you go through that, you find a couple articles. There's been some podcasts recently that I listened to that are really great. And then, um, uh, Karen Chilton's book, which is just awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just, it's a story that needs to be told and it's cool to, <sighs> Well, do you want to take a little break before we get into this? Let's take a little next break. One? Yeah. Right. So Hazel Scott. Yeah, what? that wasn't meant to end on a bummer note. I know. I feel like whenever you do a biography, you're like, died. and then she died, and it's like, well, <laughs> that's not, you know. Um, I forgot to say one thing. Uh, Alicia Keys played at I can't remember what year it was, but it was one of the Grammy Awards, and she plays two pianos at one time, and she shouts out Hazel Scott. Um, during the performance, I can't remember what she says, but she says something about Hazel Scott. And then later she says, it was like my dream. She's like, ever since I saw Hazel Scott play two pianos at once, there's a famous video of her playing. There's a black grand piano and a white grand piano. And she's playing, she's like playing one hand on each basically. Yeah. I'm um, not explaining it very well, but it's insane looking. And I guess Alicia Keys saw that and was like, I'm going to do that on stage somewhere. So she did it at the Grammys. Yeah. I was like, I've always wanted to do this. That and all those 80s, synth, those 80s like synth musicians. Or they well, always no, have like it's the so wall much cool around them. They're, like, <laughs> <laughs> they're also ripping off <laughs> Hazel Scott. Um, but so she has just a, <laughs> such a cool legacy and career. And I hope, you know, we'll see see more of her and learn more about her and uh, I hope you do a deep dive on her because the videos are, well, we'll are post, so like, We'll exciting. post like a video of her yeah, uh, tomorrow. They're so, it, they're so so exciting to watch. I'll so. post uh, and so she is wait oh yeah uh, I think mom would say she's an American she's treasure. An American treasure. <laughs> Buried American treasure. Yes. But if you Ooh, search. We're taking this metaphor even search, further. Find the X on the map which we will lay out. <laughs> You will. F- <laughs> Sorry, that was weird. That was good. Sorry, our mom uses that term a lot. Um, it's an American treasure. But it's always deserved. It's always deserved. So, yeah. so anyway, yeah. Generally, yeah. Um, and then you have a. Um, I do have a story as a well. I don't think mine's as st- as um <laughs> as well orchestrated as yours. Oh, but I appreciate that. Yeah, I feel mine, like I was uh, kind of through that I together. I lose a lot of details. Mine is uh, a smaller slice of history too because it's literally just one day of history a few of a, a time frame but mostly just one day of of history and but significant and we have a so amber and i have a smart tv in my room and i was uh searching around on it and it like has a lot of recommended stuff and on like a, youtube and yeah just yeah. everything Us and too, yeah. i can't remember if it was a documentary or i know it, it is a youtube video as well but a really, it was a really interesting um, one that popped up, and it was uh, rock and roll versus Congress. And I was like, it "When just you said kinda, that, I, I'd never heard of that." Yeah, a sentence. lot of people had never like, heard what? of that. So basically, um, I guess I'll just get into it. Why just not? Just get into it. All right. Basically, um, you know how with movies and cinema, there's like a rating system. Yeah. That's instilled. So. Oh, like rated PG, PG yeah. 13 R. I'm not exactly sure when that, maybe Tommy can look that up, when that came into play, but yeah. basically with the age of MTV happening and, um, you know, more freedom for the youth, whether, you know, obviously the 60s had already happened, 70s has already happened, and now, like, with the LA glam rock scene and all that, like, People, uh, people, bands are starting to get a little bit more 
androgynous and the music is starting to get a little more sexualized and not like you know let zeppelin like squeeze my lemon sexualized yeah, but like, like ooh, it's a metaphor yeah but like definitely sexualized yeah. you know and um with and with mtv coming into play the there was more prominence cast on it because yeah. now not only could you only really see it if you were like on some like weird bbc or like some late night show now you're seeing it all day, every day on the most popular channel for young people to follow. MTV. It's not just on an album cover in a store anymore. Now it's in your face all the time on video in color. So MTV was like a big reason for, for this coming into play. So what happened was a bunch of prominent, or sorry, a bunch of wives of prominent uh, congressmen oh God. got together. They were very bored and they got together <laughs> and they uh, made what's called the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center. And sounds the, harmless, right? That's, that's a shitty great. name. The PMRC <laughs> was an American committee formed in 1985 with the stated goal of increasing parental control over the access of children to music deemed to have violent drug, drug, ugh, drug related or sexual themes via labeling albums with parental advisory stickers. And we've all seen that parental advisory sticker. Yeah, the, it's like a black and white. But back in yeah. the day, they wanted to uh, they wanted to go even further than that. So we'll get into that. So the, the four women were known as the Washington Wives in the 80s. Um, and it's, again, a reference to their husbands and their roles in Washington, D.C. So the four women who founded the PMRC are Tipper Gore, wife of Al Gore, you oh, know. Tipper. Anyone named Tipper just, <laughs> just Tipper yeah. right out of the equation. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, I mean Al Gore is famous now for the uh, you know, he's famous for the whole global warming thing, which is good. Yeah, that's no, great. that's great. And uh, he was also made famous from South Park with the whole Bear Man pig. It's like, no one takes me cereal. <laughs> you know that whole thing. I but forgot um, about Bear Man Yeah, too. and he also should have been an American president, really, um, with the whole, you know, counting votes uh, ballot scandal in Florida with George Bush and Jebediah Bush, Jeb Bush. You know, you know about that, right? I don't know about that. Oh yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty cut and dry there. Um, yeah. They cheated with uh, the ballots. They tapped into these voting machines and ballots and changed the election. I think there's a whole documentary about it. But wow. anyway, Al Gore should have been president, not president. Wife Tipper Gore was a member of the PMRC. So, <laughs> <laughs> Tipper Gore, uh, Susan Baker, wife of Treasury Secretary James Baker, Pam Hower, no D, wife of Washington <laughs> realtor Raymond Hower, Pam, and Sally Nevius. Sally, Pam, Sally, Sally Susan, and Tipper. Yeah, wife of <laughs> former Washington City Council Chairman John Nevius. Sounds like a fun bunch. So they sat around. I This is how Played I imagine bridge. it. They're just <laughs> drinking tea with their pinkies out. And then next thing you know, Def Leppard comes on the radio and they're like, oh my God, what's happening here? And they just cannot handle it, right? Not on my television. Yeah, they just can't handle it. Oh God. So what they do is they create the Filthy 15. Oh! <gasps> Which it's is, like a burn here, book. Yeah, the filthy <laughs> fifteen. It's literally a burn book. 
It's, it's like uh, a list of names and it's got a yellow background. Hazel Scott. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's not unlike this so, whole thing. Do you want to hear who's on the hell? Yeah, I want to hear 15? all the badass right. people that are on the filthy 15 and it's specifically songs with their lyrical content. That's what the big thing was about. Oh, so this is a list of bands or songs bands and their specific oh, song. Gotcha, gotcha. So the specific song from a band. Okay, but they're doing their homework. Uh, they're being, but they're like, let's be really specific. <laughs> we're not just gonna say the band. We're gonna so not say only, what we don't like. Not only do they have a rating system like G, PG, PG thirteen, R, NC seventeen for music. X, you know, right. they have very specific letters that represent very specific things. They have X for profane or sexual um, explicit content. Okay. Excuse me. O for occult. Whoa. D slash A for drugs or alcohol. We'd oh. be so screwed on the D A. Well, yeah, we would. We, we would have D A D A D A D A occult D A. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a couple of cult songs in there. And then V for. V. I don't know. Violence. I was oh, hoping violence. you were going to say. <laughs> I was hoping to catch you in something. I was really, in something very strange. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Ugh. So the Filthy 15 were, again, 15 songs that kind of represented these different um, areas that they, they marked out, these different ratings. Funny. So Judas Priest, Eat Me Alive, Violent, or no, Explicit. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> you think it was violent, explicit. but it's meant to be Get it? Sexual. Eat Me Alive? Cause, okay. Motley okay. Crue. Bastard, violent. Prince, darling Nikki, explicit. Oh no. Sheena Easton, sugar walls. <laughs> that definitely sounds. <laughs> sounds like a great song. Sounds explicit, <laughs> right? Sugar <laughs> uh, walls. Wasp. W A S B. Can we make a playlist? Oh, of this all these one's songs? great. <laughs> song. Animal. Fuck like a beast. <laughs> wow. The wait. The band right? is called Animal. No, no, no. The song is called Animal, Animal Parentheses. <laughs> Fuck Like a Beast. That's kind of like uh, Radio it. Keys on the line. <laughs> parentheses. Fuck Like a Beast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mom, for all those words. Um, Merciful Fate, who I actually haven't even heard of. Uh, Occult Into the Coven. Oh, no. Vanity. Strap on Robbie Baby. <laughs> Explicit. Come on. Pretty obvious here. Yeah. Uh, Def Leppard, high and dry. What would you guess that was? Um, e- explicit. High and dry. Explicit. No, drugs, alcohol. Come on. Oh, like, sorry. All right, Twisted Sister. We're not gonna take it. What would that be? We're not gonna take yeah. it. Yeah, we'll get into that later. <laughs> nope. Violence. Where's the occult one? Violence. <laughs> no, that was Into the Coven by Merciful Fate. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, gotcha. Madonna, dress you up. Explicit. All right. Cindy Lauper, <laughs> she bop, explicit. So basically, they're trying to put everything, every, they're trying to cover all their bases here. Yeah. They're like, AC, we don't DC. like any of this music. <laughs> ACDC, love this song title. Let me put my love into you. Oh. Explicit. Um, Black Sabbath, trashed. What do you think that one is? Drugs and alcohol. Oh, drugs oh, and alcohol. I'm getting, Nailed it. Get it. Mary Jane Girls, My House. Drugs and alcohol. Explicit. Oh. It's their house. They're the girls. Got. Oh, okay. <laughs> Venom. Possessed. Occult. Occult. There yep. you go. 
So those are the Filthy 15, Judas Priest, Motley Crue, Prince, Sheena Easton, Wasp, Merciful Fate, Vanity, Def Leppard, Twisted Sister, Madonna, Cyndi Lauper, ACDC, Black Sabbath, Mary Jane Girls, Venom. It's like all the 80s artists. Just they're like, every, you know what? Everyone in MTV all we bases. don't like. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So basically... Um, one of the so that was one of the actions taken by the PMRC. They created that list, um, and then the hearing was held on September nineteenth, nineteen eighty five. To and at this point, they're so powerful, or the men in Congress were so powerful. I believe it was. Uh, I don't have the exact number here, but uh, oh, nineteen record companies already agreed in August to put parental advisory um, stickers on albums but they decided to hold this like what they literally called the senate i mean this isn't biased at all but the senate agreed to hold a hearing on this so-called porn rock (gasps) (laughs) wow they're just coming up with new terms so the hearing was held on september 19th so this is a whole month afterwards after all the record labels 19 of them maybe not all of them but 19 of them agreed like yeah we'll totally do it but they're like we'll we'll hold this you know this hearing which is really like what do they call it it's like a just a farce really no yeah (laughs) (laughs) no it's just like a farce really i mean it's not a they're not actually concerned. They they pretty much already have it in the bag. Congress yeah. does. Yeah. Super Gore is already like taking our victory lap. Okay. Oh, it's it's like pageantry at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're like we're gonna give them a fair shake, but not really. Yeah. So, of course, um, we had uh, senators Paula Hawken, Al Gore, and I I think Tipper Gore also. Let me see here. Uh, Su- Susan Baker testified. Tipper Gore uh, testified. Um, and, uh, those were in the, I guess they call it, I, they wouldn't really call it the prosecution. It's like the for and against, um, uh-huh. yeah. Cause no one's guilt. Well, yeah. No one's wait. guilty, but it's Interesting, like, yeah. yeah. And, um, there were three musicians who decided to stand up to this and, um, it was Frank Zappa, guitar player, oh, weird dude. Yeah. Um, John Denver, which is kind of a random wild, wild card. card yeah john denver he seems pretty squeaky clean music very wise. squeaky clean yeah not on the filthy 15 john not denver. on the filthy 15 but he's like i'm gonna stand up for free speech blah blah, blah. and, th- Love and it. then they were trying to get uh vince neal from a uh, motley crew mm. who is a complete meathead and uh, uh not <laughs> not who you want to be representing you know your entire case against yeah. these parental advisory stickers. Uh, D Snyder claims that they wanted Vince Neal because of this. And he would have just been decimated because he, he D Snyder clearly, clearly doesn't like Vince Neal. And he was talking about how he didn't feel like he had like the intelligence to stand up to. Yeah. But what they got was D Snyder. So my whole story really, I mean, that's the beginning of my whole story, but my whole real story is D Snyder versus the PMRC so versus Congress. So who is D Snyder? So D Snyder is the lead singer and principal songwriter of the band Twisted Sister. And we they're on the Filthy 15. Yeah. We're not gonna take it. No, we are. Yeah, ain't gonna take it. Not gonna take it. I can't remember the lyric. But he's got luxurious hair. That's what I know. Very luxurious about him. Yeah. hair. Um, and they thought, oh, we're gonna get, we're gonna 
murder this guy. Look at him. He wears eye makeup. He has like crazy hair. He dresses like a woman. He has like <laughs> high heels on. He has like like crazy makeup on. Yeah. If you've ever seen Twisted Sister. So they thought they were just going to roll this guy, right? And they were so they they brought him in. They thought that they were going to embarrass, you know, the the music community so badly that it would just be a It'd just be obvious to anyone who saw it that yes, we should have these parental advisory stickers, and that's it. Yeah. So, and Tom might be able to bring this up. I don't know. It's tough. Okay. Um, <laughs> basically, um, he he rolls up to Congress in like the typical '80s like glam rock fashion. He so comes, he's not wearing a suit. No. Love it. He shows Love up it. in snakeskin boots. Yes. Tight jeans. Yep. A twisted sister tank top. No. Yes. Love it. <laughs> and a jean jacket full of holes. Yep. This typical sunglasses and the wild hair. Love it. And they asked him later, they're like, why didn't you and you and anyone who's listening to this should look up a video of uh, what he looks like. Yeah. Because it, it's just awesome. Unless to you're see driving him. and then do it later. But yeah, it's awesome <laughs> to see him in the courtroom like looking like this yeah so he rolls up you know he uh takes he takes his jacket off so now he's full-on bro tank <laughs> love it and, and oh, uh, love it. pulls out like this folded up piece of paper out of his pocket a <laughs> uh, back pocket <laughs> sits down in front of the mic and starts reading so they did not expect d snyder to be as articulate and well yes, thought out yes, as he yes, was yes D. Snyder. How badass. Love it. So he came out, I think it was three main points against what Tipper Gore said. The first one is she specifically called out the song Under the Blade. Under the Blade, she said, is sadomasochistic lyrics and torture. So sadomasochistic. Uh, I I can bring up some of the lyrics really quick because... They definitely, maybe the on blade? the surface, if you're looking for it, it's called Under the Blade. I'm going to look up Under the Blade lyrics so I can read these. I should have taken them it out. It sounds like uh, Tipper's finding some deep cuts. Like she's yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. listening. No, 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 no. This, is, this wasn't their big hit, but it was like one of their first albums. So a glint of steel, a flash of light. You know you're not going home tonight. Be it Jack or Switch Doctors or Mind. Nowhere to run, everywhere you'll find. You can't escape from the bed you've made. When your time has come, you'll accept the blade. You've cornered in the alley you've cornered in the alleyway you know you're all gone you know it's going to end this way the chill goes to the bone now here it comes that glistening light it goes into your side the blackness comes tonight's the night the blade is going to ride because you're under the blade you're under the blade um and i'm gonna there's more too but Mm -hmm. so tipper gore reads this and thinks sadomasochism torture right that kind of cold satanic panic fucking bullshit yeah actually it's about their guitar player um, going into surgery. <gasps> and uh, Dee Snyder claims, <laughs> he said, the only sexualized violence was in Tipper Gore's mind. She looked for <gasps> sadomasochism and she found it. And um, yes. just ruins her. Like, it's so funny the way like that he's giving this testimony. And uh, Al Gore, it, it's a moment that's so funny. He asks about this and he, and, uh, he says the line, 
she looks for sadomasochism, or she's like, you get what you look for in songs. That's the beauty of interpretation in lyrics, right? right? And I'm paraphrasing a little bit here. It's like, yeah. you could look for a surgery reference and you find it. Tipper yeah. Gore looked for sadomasochism and she found it. That was her shit. Yeah. And That's what she <laughs> liked. Right after, <laughs> dude, it's so funny. Right after he says that, he looks Al Gore dead in the eye when he says that, and Al Gore goes, yeah. It's <laughs> just so awkward. Yeah, and then he's he like, just, "I don't want to be here," and just, cha- and just changes the subject. So the, that was the first here. one was these song lyrics. The second one was this T-shirt. So he brought a transcript of a Tipper Gore speech, like against you know profanity and music or whatever. And she says, "You even look at the T-shirts kids wear. You see twisted sister shirts with a woman handcuffed and spread eagled." D says, that is an outright lie. We have always taken great pain in steering clear of sick sexism in our merch, record, show, and personal lives. Furthermore, we have always prom- or, yeah, I've always promoted the belief that rock music should not be sexist, but cater to males and females equally. Aww. And then he challenged her to produce the shirt, which they obviously couldn't. Wow. Yeah, they couldn't produce the shirt. She's just making shit up. She's literally just making shit up. And he just... Good for Again, him. ruined them. Like yeah. all, he's categorically ruining them. Another one. I don't think I have it written down. Um, what was that? Oh, nice. The other, the other thing that he talked about, which for some reason I didn't put this down. Um, let me remember it. Oh, it was the video for. We're not going to take it. They're yeah. on the filthy fifteen. Right. For violence. Where's the violence in those lyrics? There's no violence at all. I can't come up with anything besides we're not going to take it. No, we're not going to take it. Yeah. We're not going to take it anymore. But I don't know. What are the verses? So I'm going to get, we're going to get it. We have the chance to turn the pages over. We can write what we want to write. We got to make ends meet before we get much older. We're all someone's daughter. Is this it? No, that's You're the Voice by John Furham. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "This is very I was like, dude. This inspiring. is very different. This We're not gonna really take <laughs> it, dude. That's embarrassing. <laughs> Edit that out, Tommy. No, no. it's <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It shows so our humanity. These these are more along the lines of, "Oh, we're not gonna take it. No, we ain't gonna take it. We're not gonna take it anymore. We've well, it's kind of the same. We've got the right to choose it. There ain't no way we'll lose it. This is our life. This is our song. We fight the powers that be. Just so that fight. There's one lyric." choose it um it's more revolutionary yeah don't pick our destiny because you yeah. don't know us and you don't belong chorus oh you're so descending your galls are ending we don't want nothing not a thing from you your life is trite and jaded boring and confiscated if that's your best your best won't do we're right yeah we're free yeah we'll fight yeah you'll see dude it's a great song. so what happened was Tipper Gore conflated the music video, which is like cartoony violence. And um, if you've ever watched the music video for We're Not Gonna Take It, it's basically the dad like getting not beaten up, but like from Dee's words, he used it like a Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote cartoon. They just paralleled these old cartoons. Yeah. Where they would take the dad as if he's like Wiley Coyote and like throw him out a window. Or yeah. like hit him with a door with a bunch of like twisted sister members running through. The yeah. kid like turns into D. Snyder. It's like a it's like a teenager's fantasy of like saying no to their parents yeah. and like 
having this again, very like teenage adolescent idea of like what, what like winning over the man would look like. And it looks cartoony and, and it's super cartoony violence. And he's like, it's even more obvious that every time the antagonist in the video is like, you know, he gets thrown out the window and then he's back and there's no harm done to him. He's like, just like, Nothing happened, just yeah. like Wile E. Coyote, just like a cartoon. So he's like, what you're doing is you're conflating the visuals in the music, the MTV video yeah. with the song lyrics that now you're trying to censor as too violent. Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's the... It's, it's the, the seat, record. It's the record she's yeah, trying to the, put... the vinyl record. ...this on. It's yes. that, that's what she's trying to censor. And so it's, they're so trying she's to taking s- the video and... Yes. Yes, exactly. So it's just lazy, it's sloppy, and he calls him out on that. So Love then it. they start asking him... You know, they really... They ask him a bunch of really inappropriate questions. Basically, uh, after he makes a statement about the T-shirt, the Under the Blade lyrics, and... Um, and uh, the video and being on the Filthy 15 and all that. And then he gets open for questioning. And they asked him about being a parent. And um, that seems out of. So they asked him about, a parent, about being a parent. They're like, well, what do you do for a living? You're a rock star. You're gone. Like, how, how often do you tour? And then he's gone, well, I tour about, you know, 11 months every two years. Yeah. And they're like, so you're not there to to monitor what your child has to watch, right? And he's mm-hmm. like, well, luckily I have, you know, my son's only two, but if he were interested in purchasing music, I have a wife at home who's who's a, you know, stay-at-home mom who's, you know, a great enough mom that she has the power to, you know, be both a mother and a father in those situations. And they're like, well, what about nine years when your son's 11 and you're still gone? He's like, I'm going to be well retired by then. And I'm going to spend more time with my kid than anybody. Love <laughs> like, it. Yeah. So he's he, like, that's why I'm working hard now. And so then they ask him, how would you know just by, you know, picking up a record, what to not let your kid listen to? And Dee Snyder says, well, first you look at the album cover art. I know that if I see an album cover with a severed goat head in the middle of a pentagram between a woman's legs, that's probably not an album I want my son to be listening to. (laughs) So that was the first point. You look at the album cover. Yeah. The second point, you read the song title and the lyrics. He says, you know, there's a lot. There's he says they include a sleeve of their lyrics in every single record. And also there's one in our record. Yeah. And, um, so you can double check. Yeah. And on top of that, <laughs> he's like, you can read the uh, song titles on the back. And we read a few that were pretty, you know, <laughs> animal, fuck like a beast, sugar walls, <laughs> eat me alive. <laughs> like, they're pretty obvious, right? I like sugar walls. That's my favorite. <laughs> sugar walls. Yeah. And then so he says, quote, Read the song titles and lyrics. If I read a title on the back of an album called Ice Cream Castle and the song is titled If the Kid Can't Make You Come, I realize that's a sexually explicit song and looking at the title, <laughs> looking at the lyrics, that should pretty much cover all bases. Yeah, easy. And then three, he's like, if in fact that the album do not express their intentions on the cover art or in the titles, I think a parent can take it home and listen to it. And I don't think that there are too many retail stores that would deny them the ability to return the album for something different. Yeah. So he's saying, you know, and then um, Al Gore's like basically questioning him about it, saying, you know, there's a, you know, it's, you really expect parents to sit 
how you know how hard is it for a parent to sit down and listen to every album their kid buys and then you know d center says i was lucky to get one album a week or a month when i was a kid because yeah there's six ten dollars an album back then yeah. he's like that was a huge amount of money for a teenager a preteen so it's like and he also said with that in mind so one album a week, that's not hard. But who said that being a parent is easy? Being a parent is very hard, and you should have to have hard work to make sure your kids are raised yeah. properly. So that was his whole rebuttal to Basically, Al Gore. sounds like you're being bad parents. Yeah. Work, work a little harder. So yeah. then Al Gore starts trying to ask him other questions about himself because in the very beginning when he sat down, he's like, I want the Congress to know I do not drink, I do not smoke, and I do not do any drugs. Who and said that? I, uh, D. Snyder. Oh, okay. I was raised a Christian, and I still abide by Christianity. Right. And they say, and Al Gore asked him, well, what is your fan club called? And um, D. Snyder says, it's the SMF Friends of Twisted Sister fan club. And he's like, well, what does SMF Friends stand for? And D. Snyder says, the sick motherfucking friends of Twisted Sister. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like... Well, that's not very Christian. Oh no, Al Gore says, "Are they all Christians as well?" And Ugh, and who uh, cares? and uh, he said, and D. Snyder says, "I don't think profanity has anything to do with Christianity." Yeah, basically. Also, we're says. not going to discriminate fan base based on religion. Why is this whole thing based why on Christianity? Ba- like, it's, it's disgusting. Why is this whole thing based it's on Christianity? Really gross. Yeah, yeah. Because the occult, who cares? Like that's that's only offensive to Christians, right? Generally. Anyway, I mean, it's also just a lot of it's a lot of ways to blame certain behavior that you don't understand and make it criminal and scary. And it's just, yeah, the whole occult Satanism thing. And as true crime fans, we know that it's an easy way for people to be like, uh, this person, you know, this this kind of music, I don't understand. This kind of like physical look and fashion, I don't understand. Let's let's pretend that they love the devil and get all the Christians riled yeah, up yeah. and get Amer like good American Christians yeah. turned, get ag- turned against yeah. music totally. because we're gonna make it religious in some way or well, anti-religious. Yeah, I mean, it's sometimes fucking it definitely bullshit. was anti-Christian for sure. sure it was fine, but it doesn't have anything to it's do. It's free fucking speech. Yeah, exactly. And and we're supposed to separate, you know church and state right so if you have congress issuing these parental advisory stickers based on christianity ideology yeah. and beliefs like that's kind of a problem anyway these <sighs> yeah it's so it's, then there was like yeah. a bunch of clunkiness after that where al gore uh tried to walk back the whole t-shirt situation that tipper gore clearly lied he's about like that never happened he's like well, according to your transcripts, she said T-shirts, plural. So one being a Twisted Sister T-shirt and one being a girl handcuffed. And then um, <laughs> the insider says, like, no, she said Twisted Sister T-shirts. Yeah. And and then he's like, well, I can read the transcript right here. And he's like, well, I have the audio. We can listen to it if you guys want. And then we can all decide for ourselves what she meant by it. <laughs> and then Al Gore was like, no, it's okay. We'll just read the transcripts. We'll just decline to listen to what it. Dick, yeah. Um, and again, they uh, tried to attack his uh, his road life as a parent. Yeah. Um. They they did a bunch of like really clunky stuff in their questioning that was like super awkward. Um. They tried to like kind of oh they they started talking about how you seem really offended. Uh. Constantly talking about Al Gore's wife, and he's like, I didn't call, I didn't say Al Gore's wife. I said Tipper Gore, and yeah. they're like. 
well, why would you say Tipper Gore with such disdain? It's like, well, that's her name, isn't it? <laughs> like, I saw her name. Yeah, is they just horrible. keep trying to like nitpick like Tipper these little Gore. things, and he just doesn't back down. He's not gonna take it. No, he doesn't back down him. the entire time. Yeah. And um, so basically, after that, uh, n- November first, nineteen eighty-five, uh, the hearing. I guess the hearing was ongoing. I thought it was one day, but it's going. It's ongoing. It says. Um, the RA, the RIAA, I'm not sure what that stands for. I didn't, I didn't look it up. Agreed to put parental advisory labels on uh, selected releases at their own discretion, so they could basically decide which lyrics, which album titles, which uh, album covers they deem to be, you know, parental advisory, and they'd slap those suckers on them. It's a generic label. It's not like they were talking about earlier where they can just put O for a cold yeah. or whatever. It's just... It's just... You, it's, everyone's seen it. The if parental it's the Marshall advisor. Mathers LP... Yes. It, you know, it has it. <laughs> so what happened is a lot of... Um, a lot of artists started, you know, making like parodies of it and putting it and including it on their album art. Oh, that's hilarious. So I Guns N' Roses that. in 1991, they, uh, they used their Illusion 1 and Use Your Illusion 2 used uh, a similar sticker that said, this album contains language which some, langu- uh, which some listeners may find objectionable. They can F off and buy something from the New Age section. Love it. <laughs> that's what one says. And um, even... And then Frank Zappa printed a satirical one after, I mean, I mentioned he was, uh, you know, one of the people who testified. Um, yeah, oh yeah, Frank Zappa. This album contains material which is a truly, <laughs> this album contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. Love it. And it, it was just, I don't know. It fear was so, it was so out of control great. and so awkward. Like, one of the albums that received the parental advisory sticker was Frank Zappa's Grammy-winning album, uh, Jazz from Hell. It's an instrumental album. <laughs> it's just the name. They're like, yeah, Jazz, Jazz from, from Hell. Hell. I don't like yeah. that. And boom. Yeah. And it had a song title, G-Spot Tornado. But <laughs> apparently, parental advisory. But it's just... <laughs> I love it. So there's not really any oh hard evidence for it, but there's a lot of like, you know, hearsay evidence and a lot of, especially hip hop artists and, and stuff like that saying, you know, thank you, Tipper Gore, blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of believed that this sticker caused this forbidden fruit effect, which actually made people want the, the record even more. So it kind of backfired on the PMRC and, uh, Almost exclusively, these albums with parental advisory stickers were shooting up the charts and and just dominating sales. And it's like didn't a, hurt sales at all. It it's was like, like a, when they put sorry. It's like when they put a a skull and crossbones skull and crossbones on cigarette packs, and everyone's like, "Oh, it makes them look even cooler." Yeah, yeah. Like, and it just sells <laughs> even more. It's like, damn it, it backfired. And it also became like a badge of honor too for artists to have it. Like, yeah. some were like begging them to put like they'd purposely put like a song lyric that was just over the top. So yeah, just so they would get it. So what? Let's uh, look at the main characters of this whole thing afterwards. Is this music really damaging to people and their virtues and their... Dee Snyder is still happily married to his wife with four children. Aww. And uh, in 2010, Hal and Tipper separated but never officially divorced and are both seeing 
other people. <gasps> wow. So, what a sad ending so there for you a, go. Chris, a good old Metal. Christian couple. Yeah. So the PMRC eventually grew to 22 participants, and then they shut down completely in the mid to late 90s. So that's the whole story of D. Snyder. He didn't win. They still had to have the parental advisory stickers. But he, if you, there's a 30-minute video on YouTube you can watch of his entire Senate hearing front to back. That's and badass. And he just basically destroys them. It's yeah. awesome to watch because, like I said, he comes in dressed as he does, and then they completely underestimate him, and then he just ruins them in their own house dressed like a freaking glam rocker from the 80s. <laughs> I love that. It's awesome, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, censorship is a big, like, it's... It's freedom of speech at the end of the day. Like censorship is a is a interesting topic to me because yeah. of that. Like Frank Zappa had a lot of good points about it. He uh, specifically read the first am- amendment before he started his um, yeah. whole speech, and on top of that, he started talking about how um, the extra sticker will actually cost more money to publishers mm. so then the publishers will trickle down like the cost to the artist and yep. all this kind of stuff so it'll cost so the artists are going to be paying for yeah. their own because if you think about it like if you're selling millions of copies and they have to put millions of stickers that is a cost it's yeah, not it's a negligible something. cost when you're making it might be less than a penny but it's something they didn't have streaming back then you you either had the record or you listened to it maybe on the radio yeah or you would catch it on the radio yeah. and record it like we did in yes. the mid living la vida loca yes Oh, I remember, um, yeah, I would, I would, uh, I had my like weird cassette tape. This is in the Hilltop house. And I would like listen to the radio all day and I'd try to like press record when my songs came on that I liked and then I'd stop it. Nice. I remember I had Sheryl Crow's Change. Um, a change. Yeah. I was like, I like this song. I had, and I wrote about this. I had Aretha Franklin's Chain of Fools. I had probably some John Mellencamp anyway, but they were like <laughs> weird snippets. I have a specific memory of like, I had like a minute and a half long version of these songs on like my tape that I'd recorded. And but anyway, yeah, anyway, that, we didn't uh, have D Snyder, <laughs> D Snyder versus Congress or versus the PMRC. However you want to look at it. There's a lot of really cool. Who knew D Snyder was such a badass. Yeah, I didn't, such I, didn't a badass. Know I mean, outside of the rock world, just in this very, yeah, going against the man. I mean, he wrote, we're not going to take it. Yeah. So I guess which I should have been a clue to all of us. Which also both Demo- uh, De- Democratic and Republican national parties ended up using in the Those next tw- 20, what was that, 35 years since Dude, that hearing happened. Both parties have used that song in a so, campaign. It's so interesting to me, like, so ridiculous when politicians use music and they don't ask yeah. you know, or they do ask or whatever, but it's more interesting to me when like they don't ask and then the artists are like, wait a second, I'm being played at a Trump rally. What? Like, no, he's just, <laughs> he's been like, such a badass. Like he's, yeah. he's, he has been, he was a classic Republican, you know, because of his Christian upbringing, but he like kind of turned his back on, on John McCain, um, and voted for Obama. He's a pro-choice guy. D. Snyder? D. Snyder, yeah. He's a pro-choice guy. There was a group of, you know, uh, pro-lifers using We're Not Gonna Take It. Oh, no. And uh, he shut that shit down. Yeah, that's good. So he's a really interesting character. And um, I wouldn't say he's like a political, he's super political or anything, but he definitely, he also um, allowed the the teachers, like a teacher's union to use that song during like uh, nationwide... Teacher um, education, teacher strikes. Yeah. 
So he he's a good, he seems like a good dude, really well uh, spoken and whatnot. But I think we should he was probably a Republican for so long. Till McCain? Well, back then, I mean, back now it's like it's so you know so polarizing. It's like you're and if you see back in the day, like people obviously argued a lot less in our daily lives, but it wasn't so it wasn't so like all or nothing either. Like you could disagree on a few topics and find a lot of common ground and it was all good. Now it's just definitely such a powder keg, you know? And I don't think it was as, as varied back then. But anyway, well, um, I think we're in crisis think, mode politically <laughs> is what's happening. We're in tough. crisis mode. It's real tough. Yeah. Anyway, I think we should wrap it up because we probably went a little long. Excited. You know, to be it's back. funny. I just wanted to say like, I, we didn't really try to theme our stories at all. We have in the past, we're like, we're going to make a theme, but we just kind of both came up with our own thing. But I feel like there was a theme of like art, musicians being suppressed. Yeah. Musicians being suppressed by, by the government, by the powers that be and speaking out against it despite the risk. Yeah. So I think that's really cool. I think so too. So basically we've had our record, the shelter sessions, um, and this is our new, new one. This is not our debut record, which yes. you can buy in all stores, but not all stores, but our store. Um, the the Shelter Sessions um, it's, was supposed to be released already on streaming services, but we definitely had a bunch of hiccups. So um, it should be out, I feel like, by August 28th, which is next Friday. Before September, you will be able to see it on Spotify and Apple Music and all and that. Apple Music Add and it iTunes and all playlists that stuff. and all that. Um, it's what five song? It's almost like a like an EP. Yeah, it's a short. What's the it's a short one. <laughs> it's a it's a short. I just remember EP is extended play, LP is long play, and oh. LP is like this right here. So I yeah. So this is also it's all cover tunes um, because we recorded it remotely. Yeah. Uh, like we've explained and um and yeah, it's it's out. We're celebrating it soon. It it will be out soon. Yes. It's on Bandcamp now and you can purchase it, but it will be out out soon. And our uh real record is now physical and tangible and like I was telling my my friend like we released a record last year and it didn't really feel like like we'd made a thing yet until yeah. I held the thing. I don't know. I'm a very tactile person. I'm like, yeah. oh my God, we made a record and yeah. I'm holding it and we made this and I'm putting it on the record player and we made it. Like, and this is us. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's very cool. And, um, we are hand delivering those to people in Concord. So if you order and you're in Concord, we're going to drive over to your we house will not and put go it on to your Martinez. doorstep. We will not go to Walnut Creek. We might go <laughs> to Walnut Creek, Pleasant Hill, Martinez. Um, honestly, we'll probably go to Oakland, Berkeley because we're going to be commuting out there for work sometimes. And um, we have our exorcist cat over here. Uh, Oski's having dreams and his whole body is just like shaking and it's just crazy. But he's just having dreams about taking down gazelles. Um Anyway, uh, so yeah, yeah, so we'll drop off vinyls uh, because that's that's how that's how much we don't want to have to ship most of these. We have but we five hundred fifty of them, we and we need to them sell too. them immediately. Yeah, we're gonna bring them to your doorstep. We dropped one off for Vince and Nancy today at a mask on. We rang the bell. 
stepped back, made sure she got out of the heat because <laughs> it's 104 out and then we left, you yeah. know? So it's like, we're, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, honestly, we got nothing better to do. So it's going to be exciting nice. to like go drop off all these all right, finals. Em, well, it's good to be back. We'll be back be probably back. next week. I'm, I'm hoping to start doing Wednesdays again for podcasts. Whatever works. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I'm Stuart and uh, I'm this Emily. is Emily here and we're going to keep searching for that sweet, sweet soul, soul music. Them voices care.